Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. Today on The Detail, more and more people are leaving Gloria Vale. We call it the big wave and it just hasn't stopped for eight years. It's crisis time and an emergency welfare appeal has been launched to help the leavers. Sometimes they might stay in their months or years uh, while they wait to get their spouse on board. They're locked in by mental brainwashing and a vow they made when they were 18 and didn't really know any better. It has been investigated by the police, charity services, Oranga Tamariki and WorkSafe. Right now, former members are taking a civil suit against the community, trustees and shareholders. And there are also several cases of alleged sexual abuse before the criminal courts. Its own founder was jailed for sex crimes. The absolute ruler there is an Australian called Neville Cooper. He preaches chastity and love, yet he's a sexual predator, jailed for abusing one of his followers. Neville Cooper died in 2018, but after more than 50 years, this closed Christian community on the West Coast still has a hold on hundreds of people living and working on the 1,700-hectare property. Its businesses have ranged from dairy farms and deer hunting to oil exploration and a scenic airline. Today, I talked to the journalist who went undercover in the isolated community 23 years ago. There was this very odd sort of cult, they called it, called the Cooperites, and they had moved to a very remote part of the West Coast. So I found out about it because there was some allegations of sexual abuse. More from Mel Reid soon, but first, what happens when they turn their backs on the only thing they've known and walk into a world they have been taught to fear and hate? Liz Gregory runs the Gloria Vale Leavers Support Trust in Timaru. They're coming literally like refugees with very little personal possessions or money. We're talking about every single detail of someone's life needing to be set up from scratch effectively. Why are a lot of people leaving? Gloria Vale has been in existence for 50 years, and so you're now into third generation. Anyone under 50 is born there. And I think once you start getting into third generations and these sorts of groups, there's a bit of unrest that can come. People inside who are curious about the outside world. I think also probably a major reason is that as Gloria Vale got tighter and tighter and more you know, pulled away from the world, more isolated, it actually got stricter and stricter, like a communist regime. It's like they've set up their own government within our country. And they've got a lot of details around abuse inside groups like this. We begin tonight on the West Coast, where a man has today pleaded guilty to sexual abuse at the Gloria Vale Christian community. Today's appearance follows an almost year-long investigation by police. Uh, the young man who, who appeared today and entered guilty pleas to three charges of indecent assault. Uh, they are representative charges, and the offending occurred between 2015 and 2018. And so for a long time, these groups can keep abuse quiet because there's this isolation factor. But as people started leaving in the big wave about eight years ago, a lot of stories came tumbling out of there. And when those people left and realised that the world wasn't what they had been told, the people out here weren't evil and wicked, it was incredible for the people leaving Glorabelle to see that perhaps they'd been told lies. 
all your told all your life that the minute you walk out that gate, you're going to hell, your kids are all going to hell. So Liz, how was this decision made by someone in the community to leave? I think a lot of people now know about our group because for about three years, night and day, um, Hopeful Christian, the leader of Glory Vale, used to rail about us. And so for three or four years, all he would talk about morning, noon and night is this wicked group of people over in Timaru. But what started happening is as people were leaving and various members of our church and, and others were helping them settle, there was an encouragement for them to continue to make contact with their families in there if they could. How do and, they do um, that? Gorobar will notice the truth. Well, a lot of the um, original people that were coming out were farmers, and the farmers were sort of an easier group, I guess, to have contact with. They had a little more ability to get off the property. Um, they were working on the various farms on the edges of Gloryvale's empire, if you like. And so they were easier to make contact with. So a lot of farmers left. The farmers also had been working in, you know, 10 years prior to all this on other people's farms. Mm-hmm. And they had had the ability to talk to other farmers, to be uh, questioning, to learn to think. So we found that those who were in jobs where they were allowed to think or had access to information, they were more likely to engage in conversations. They don't have access to phones. So how the people who leave, the leavers, how do they stay in touch with the people who are still in in the community? It's very difficult to do that. And it's a determined effort on behalf of those who have left, really, to make sure they maintain contact and set up meetings through elaborate networks. We don't want to share all of those publicly because some of those are still at play today. But look, it's public knowledge that there have been phones smuggled in. That's problematic because the cell phone reception is horrendous in the valley and there's no sort of open, freely accessible Wi-Fi. And if there is, if anyone finds a way, it's not safe. You might not tell your wife that you are even having this contact. So there's a lot of subterfuge. It's underground. It's not advertised. The leaders know this is happening, but they have tightened up. So they'll put someone on night watch on the bridge so that people can't come across at night. And they have been known to go through people's drawers in their rooms, trying to find contraband. So the leaders, a little bit like communist regimes, they don't want their people having access to information. And so when a decision is made by someone in the community that they want to leave, are you aware of that? Yes. Can you take me through the process? What happens? Yeah, I'll give you a general process, um, only because there are still people, you know, mm. in there now who are mm. partway through, I guess, um, thinking about these sorts of things. And so it might be that their first contact is not actually with us, per se, but just someone else in the in the wider network. You just start to get a sense of the people who are um, becoming a little restless. Perhaps they're breaking a rule here or there, making a bit of contact with family starting to question things inside Gloria Vale. They themselves start talking about potentially we might think about leaving at some point. You know that that's a little bit of a warning bell. They often won't share that, though, with their spouse. And so sometimes they might stay in there months or years uh, while they wait to get their spouse on board. 
so that they can go together as a family. Uh, pretty much all the advice going into Gloryvale is don't leave unless you can come with your whole family. It's not okay to leave your wife and children at Gloryvale. It's not safe. And they have seen this enough. They have seen families separated at the last minute. They have seen wives hauled away from husbands and grilled and pressured to stay while the husband is turfed out. And so there's a real strong encouragement, keep families together. And that's why a lot of them leave in the middle of the night. We decided to leave at night time and we kept it a secret just because we didn't want to make a big fuss and we didn't want people to try and talk us out of it. Often they won't leave until there's actually been a firm offer. If you actually say, someone has offered their house for you for six weeks to come to, to land, and in that time, everything you need will be organised and set up for you. That's often the preciseness they need. And then messages might filter out, oh, we're thinking about it, but maybe it'll be in a few months. But we've heard that one before. Um, and literally that next Saturday, out comes a family of 14. <laughs> so once an, once an offer's gone through, it's very much just a waiting game. And then it will be very sudden normally. Uh, next thing you hear, they've made contact with someone and they want to go, plans put in place and, and the extraction will occur. And then you, know, you kick into gear, getting vans ready with car seats and pickup times organised. You just run on very little information and you just hope that when you get there, it all, it all goes to plan. My husband and I have only been involved in one actual pickup off the property at night ourselves. It's normally a vast range of people that do that, might even be the family members. Um, other families have stayed with a, a local farmer for a couple of nights and then we've come over to collect them. So you say that they now have security on the bridge. Is that the only vehicle access? Yes, there are two, two entries and one of them is a locked gate and the other has night watch sitting on it from about 11 till 6. Um, and that was to stop, you know, they called them night raiders. <laughs> stop the night raiders. I mean, it sounds so stealthy. Yes, very. <laughs> I, I have known of, of, of someone who um, you know, had an angle grinder and was able to, to cut a lock to get access out and off the property. Sometimes there are altercations, people get sprung while people are trying to leave. But on the whole, I have to say, in the last few months, while Gloravale has been under scrutiny, people have been a bit more bold in their leaving, and some have even done it during the day. And so, yeah, Gloravale know they're being watched, and so they have to make it look like you know, they're allowing people to go if they want to go. They don't lock them in if they want to leave. You're not locked in at Gloravale by bars and chains. You're locked in by the fact you signed a vow stating that you would live at Gloravale for the rest of your life. And if you ever did leave, you did so to the peril of your soul. And regardless of whether I abound or am abased or live in peace, persecution or affliction, they bind me for the rest of my life, not only legally and morally before men, but also spiritually before God in heaven, so that if ever I break any of them, I do so to the peril of my soul. <laughs> That's what they're locked in by. They're locked in by mental brainwashing and a vow they made when they were 18 and didn't really know any better. Someone who has a handle on what's been going on at Gloria Vale for a long time is the now newsroom investigations editor, Melanie Reid. Uh, the young people 
between the age when they mature and the age when they might get married in the late 20s. Now, how are they going to handle their sexual drive and things like that? So society says, oh, well, uh, we mightn't altogether say it's right, but we'll shut our eyes and we'll let the young people fornicate. That's a clip from her documentary from 23 years ago when, as a young reporter at TV3 in Christchurch, she took the almost unheard of step in New Zealand journalism of going undercover. I was very disturbed by what I was finding out about the Cooperites. Plus, I was intrigued and I was working alongside... uh, people that had left the community, so and particularly his own children, because at the time, something like he had 14 children and seven were in the community and seven were out. Um, one of the sons had gone in and he'd abducted his wife and his children, and I was talking to him, and there was a couple of other sons that had come out, and they were so broken. I'd never seen people so broken and so... And, and, and not having any idea how to survive in the world that we'd all grown up in. Like, they didn't even know the names of the days of the week or the difference between 20 cents and 20 dollars. It was just, like, suddenly so bizarre. You actually went undercover as a student claiming that you wanted farming experience. Right, so what I did, yeah, is I pretended that I was a Lincoln university rural student and at the time they had the only floating heronbone cow shed in the South Island which was a very fancy thing to have if you were a dairy farmer. And they accepted you just like that? Well I not really like I sort of had to talk my way in and and they were always kind of semi I think looking for new blood if you like and the TV3 boss at the time Mark Jennings he, he drove me to sort of north of Greymouth and dropped me off and I hitchhiked so that no one would kind of know. And I, I dyed my hair dark brown and I called myself Nelly. You were in there for eight days. Mm. Did they ever suspect that you were a journalist? No. Uh, I was quite good at just mingling in with the women, like I had the dress on, I was like, we just did cooking and washing and washing and washing and cooking. But because I was saying I need to do this um, work with the boys because that's part of my um, work experience from Lincoln, which was all bullshit, obviously, they didn't really like it. But what it meant is that I could go and sort of do some filming and then I'd film them singing at the schools and all sorts of things. But mm. what I'm saying to you is I kept going from place A to place B and they'd think I was at B when I'd be at A and all that sort of thing, and hoping like hell I wouldn't get caught. I know, because there is, there is one piece in, in the story where you're sitting down with the dress on. Hopeful Christian says that the outfits worn by the women in this community are designed to be submissive, sweet and feminine. And I think you even say this was this is the scariest moment because if I get caught, that's it. He believes that all the women should look the same, like this, because it stops the evils of vanity and prevents competitiveness amongst women. So apart from the fear of being discovered as an undercover journalist, were there moments where you were frightened because of the community? Did you feel any kind of threat? I felt 
a bit like there were some creepy people around me at times, but I wasn't there long enough. I did come out and felt quite exhausted because you start to sort of get indoctrinated because especially me, I was sitting beside him, you know, three meals a day. He would sit with a microphone and just like he was a minister, he would talk to all the Cooperites as they were known back then. Do you believe what we believe about the scriptures? You do. Well, Lilia, that's just what we are. Just a simple people that are believing what God says. You start to think, well, okay, well, half of what he said was kind of plausible. And I kind of think that the concept of community is actually quite good. I'm not a disbeliever. It's just when power goes, you know, when power gets out of control Mm. that it all turns to custard. To be honest, everyone seemed really happy. But obviously the people that had left, they'd been totally traumatised and totally mentally abused. And, And also we don't know what it'd be like not to know how to dial a telephone or what a $20 note looks like or what Wednesday means. Well, I mean, it might have changed now, but that's what it was like. What do you think about what's going on at the moment because a lot of people are leaving? I think they're going to need a hell of a lot of support. They've really, really struggled. And I've been quite close to quite a few of them. It's a really hard road back from the Cooperites or Gloryvale. It's not easy. The community is under a lot more scrutiny now. Do you think that that's going to make a difference? Do you think it's going to change things? I think that Neville Cooper had a big handle on things. And Neville Cooper was terrifying, I think. Well, in one way he wasn't, if you like, but in the other way you just knew, you know, you, you could just see how people needed to stay in with him and that they would do exactly what what he told them he to do. He told them to do. I mean, he just had everyone basically following him like he was the Lord. And then, of course, after the story came out and all the sexual allegations, then he was put in um, prison for seven years. So I was kind of blamed for that as well, <laughs> for exposing him and him ending up being away from the community and being in jail. But that was all just another part of how evil the world was, that they'd taken their leader and put him in jail and it wasn't... It was just some, you know, deranged bad people that had left the community and a very evil journalist that had caused this. They're coming out literally empty-handed. Some people come and grab some of the bedding from their room. They don't own suitcases because they don't traditionally go on holidays. And, yeah, you need to start from scratch. So we say that for a big family of, say, 12, don't, don't expect to be up and functioning in a home with a job and the kids in school for five weeks. You, you need to sort everything from bank account access through to inland revenue wins, getting a, a phone and a phone number, because every form you fill in requires a phone number or an email address. Just set all these things Um, and that enables you to then be able to um, rent a house because you have to fill in a tenancy agreement and they they need a bond, so that means you needed a bank account. You just have to jump through hoops. After five or six weeks, yeah, Dad will have a job, there'll be a vehicle for the family, they'll be in a rented home and the income will start flowing and they'll, they'll 
start to get on their feet. Their existence has been so sheltered and isolated. How well do they adjust? Uh, Culture shock is huge for them. They're incredibly overwhelmed with the number of decisions they need to make. I've been out here for two years and I still have trouble making decisions. Like this morning I got up and I honestly, for like half an hour, I couldn't decide what to wear. They've come out here with 10 children. Maybe now um, they're a stay-at-home mum, whereas they weren't a stay-at-home mum at Goraval. The woman worked. And so there's a whole shift in the way a woman's life is organised when she leaves. Do any go back? Yes, yeah, so some go back. Very, very seldom do they go back and stay back, though. Uh, once they've come out here and experienced love and kindness, and then they go back into Gloravale and they go back into that very rigid, hard, harsh system, which talks about love, but most people who leave Gloravale say categorically, there is no love there. People are judgmental, critical, and so they see the stark difference. And often just a few weeks out here gives them clarity in their minds. And to go back in there and to see it for, for what it is, is quite a powerful experience. So many leave again at that point. What do they want to happen in terms of Gloria Val? Because it's, the community's gone through a number of investigations, or the leaders or individuals have. There are varying schools of thought about what will happen to Gloria Val and what people want to happen. There's a definite group who have suffered terribly under the regime, physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse. Um, a lot of that is now coming out through through the court system. Um, they believe that Gloraval is unhealthy and can never be made healthy. And so their desire is that the regime ends. There are others who are, are quite hopeful that change could come. The problem is the leaders themselves aren't interested in change. <laughs> I know for a fact it's really unstable in there. I think that would be a good word. People are restless. But at the end of the day, how do you change a mindset? How do you change an ideology of 50 years? Mm. And it's not just the leaders who have this ideology. It's the people living there. There are real loyalists there, fanatics, in the next layer down of leaders. And so I'm always an optimist. I believe change is coming. I do. I just don't think it's coming in the white horse, Mm. (laughs) coming over the hill to rescue everybody Mm. (laughs) and to make it perfect overnight. I think it will be slow, agonising, painful changes. I think there'll be a civil war inside Gloravale, which destabilises the place. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can download us free to your mobile phone every day on any podcast platform. Alexia Russell produced today's episode. Rangi Poik engineered it. Thanks to Liz Gregory and Melanie Reid. Mā te wā.